Welcome to Spark Science, where we explore stories of human curiosity. I'm your host, Regina Barber de Graff, astrophysicist, pop culture enthusiast, and this is our second Geek Girl Con episode of season five. For those of you who might have missed the first episode, Geek Girl Con is a comic book convention with a mission to celebrate geek culture and all aspects of female identity. We were able to talk to scholars Dr. Lau and Dr. Ferez. They both have different fields and they have different roles at this convention, but they both share a deep appreciation of the mission of this event. That many people are many things, and that's a good thing. This show was recorded on location at the convention in San Antonio, Texas. I'm Joe Lau, also on the internet. I'm JC Lau. I am one of the marketing directors for Geek Girl Con, and I'm also the campaign project manager. This is our fourth year. It is so amazing. Um, I'm going to let you, because you're one of the organizers, kind of mm-hmm. organizers, kind of give us a, a little kind of overview of what this is. We're in our eighth year now. Like without bias or anything, this is one of the <laughs> most inclusive welcoming conventions I've seen in the Seattle convention circuit. We specifically have a convention for members of underrepresented groups. It's family friendly. We cover all areas of geekdom from gaming to comics and science so we have a very strong stem and steam focus it's just one of those places where you can carve out spaces for things that you love can you talk a little bit about like the physical like layout and how you've thought about these things we have four floors this year in the conference center at the wscc we are basically a volunteer-based organization and we have to grow sustainably and in a way that still allows for our core community to be able to feel welcome. Our exhibitor floor is on the fourth floor and we've expanded into that space so people have like more stuff they can check out and more stuff they can buy from artists who are generally underrepresented and not present at larger conventions. Um, We have a lot more paneling this year so we have a lot of you know people speaking about what it's like to be from an underrepresented group or like creators of color who are you know, working in comics and literature and games. And one of my favorite things is a DIY science zone, which we bring scientists in and kids can just do lots of really cool science experiments that they might not have access to otherwise. And it's a way to encourage women and girls to discover what they love. Our spaces are also intentionally set up. You know, conventions can be really loud and overwhelming for a lot of people. We, we're expecting 11,000 people to come through this weekend. So if you need a space away from that, we have a quiet room where you can take a breather and there's coloring books and there's water and you can just hang out there and decompress for a bit. We also have a nursing room for mothers. And finally, we intentionally have space so you can bring strollers. I actually personally love how spacious it mm-hmm. is. Like when I go to PAX or Emrocon, all the booths are very, very close mm-hmm. together and I can just see very intentionally things open and more spacious. I do want to bring up one thing. You you keep on mentioning, you know, underrepresented identities and Geek Girl Con is really, I think on the surface, people will be like, oh, it's just about being female. But it's, it's there's so much intersectionality happening at this conference and people can like geeky stuff. You're, there's people of color. There's a queer community celebration and representation here. I wanted to kind of bring that up to you because I know you because yeah. we worked on a um, a blog post mm-hmm. um, that I had written for Geek Girl Con, like the website, mm-hmm. and um, you yourself were a gamer, or sorry, were a developer mm-hmm. and you were a writer. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of want to take a step back and kind of tell us how you kind of 
fit in that intersectional like I like art stuff I like geeky stuff I like sciencey stuff so okay so I'm a game developer as well but before being a game developer I'm a queer woman of color so you know sometimes if you're at a bigger convention like if you're at your PAX or your Emerald City Comic Con there's not a lot of people that look like you and that's hard you might not feel like you belong there and so if you are a fan of anything you should have a space for that games is kind of like my main area of geekdom you know i love games but i also love comics and i think also recently side note the mcu has done a lot for getting a lot of people that weren't traditionally comics fans into comic books and comic book stories, which is so super cool. Marvel yeah, comic, the, uni- uh, comic yeah, the, universe. Yeah, the, yeah. So the Marvel Cinematic Universe <laughs> has done a ton of that. Um, and I think it's just a place where you know we can have people support each other because I kind of want to go into kind of the world of game developing and okay. being part of STEM, which is science, technology, engineering, math. And you talked about Steam, putting art in there. I've been thinking about the question that I always get, how do you feel about being a woman in STEM? How do you deal with those questions? Like when people ask me, my first response is, oh God, how much time do we have to talk about this? Because I could talk about this for like three hours. But right. You probably don't need a three hour answer. So the short response is, it is one of those things where games and tech in particular are at this cultural crossroads and we can move in a direction that makes it more inclusive, but we have to move in those ways. And I think that my day-to-day experiences are things that I hope one day are, you know, a memory for future generations of people in games and tech. And I want it to be the case that when people ask me what, what it's like, I can be like, hey, it's actually pretty good. Like, you know, most days it is, um, but there's also the, hey, you need to go into these things with your eyes wide open. There is certainly room for everybody. And as an industry, I think we have room to improve and we are slowly moving in the right direction. And it would be great if there were more people to help it move in that direction. Yeah, but it's exhausting to be like on the front lines and some of the first people. Yeah, I think there is an element of that and it's really important to kind of not burn yourself out because in games at least, the average lifespan of a game developer is five years. I suspect at least for women and people of color and members of the queer community, it's probably a lot shorter than that. Mm -hmm. Part of this is it's a cultural thing. Like games in particular have grown up historically being really, really, really heavily skewed white and male. And even before you get in the door of a game studio, there are challenges you have to kind of face to get there. So even getting to an interview is hard. There's a whole bunch of studies that show if you have a female coded or a non-white coded name, you're less likely to get an interview. Once you get in the door and you are a game dev, then having people question your legitimacy to be there is a challenge. Like, you know, or if you you go to a launch party for a game that you've worked on and people are like, are you someone's girlfriend? Are you here as like someone's plus one? And I'm like, mm. no, I actually work here. It's like those kind of like death by a thousand cuts things that I think causes retention problems, at least for like women and people of color in the, these fields. And I know that there is a push in the industry to try to improve that, but it's one of those things where I think like being diverse and being inclusive and getting people in the door is one thing, Keeping them there is a different thing. And you kind of have to tackle both of those things together. Yeah. Those are all things that I've, I think I've heard before and probably most of our listeners have heard before. <laughs> I think what I'm having struggles with is trying to insert the narrative that um, people can be both those things or multiple things. Um, uh, whenever I'm in academia and they have like charts, they're like, this many women are doing well or poorly in physics or this many people of color. So one person could be in both of those charts. And they're like, yeah. 
So like, <laughs> it just blew somebody's mind that you could be a woman and a person of color or part of the queer community or first generation or like, and in your experience, how have you woven in intersectionality into kind of those narratives without confusing people? Oh, people are really confused about that all the time. Um, and part of that is, I think, so there is an element of this being a constant uphill battle. It's like, hey, let me remind you that, for example, if we make decisions about like which characters get to be in the game, um, it's like, hey, do they all really have to be white dudes? Like, yeah. you know, do. Uh, but um, a lot of it is, is, for me, it's framing it in language that people can already understand, which in some cases might be a business aspect because, you know, for games, like, you know, money is very important for studios because otherwise they can't stay open. But let me spell out the business reasons for why you should have diverse characters in your game. Let me remind you that there are more types of people out there than just your very kind of narrow experience of people that you've met. And this isn't just for straight white dudes. This is true of everyone. Like, you know, everyone has their own narrative. And I think just being mindful of that and reminding people that, you know, there are more than one, there's more, there's always more than one way to understand and experience. If we abstract away from that a little, there's this exercise in empathy building that goes on when when I'm in a room and I'm like, hey, like, just so you know, I am aware that I'm the only like woman of color in this entire meeting. Hey, just so you know that there is no one in your leadership that is a woman or, hey, just so you know, the people that wrote this story about this queer, this queer relationship aren't actually queer and maybe mm-hmm. you should talk to someone that is and see what they, how they think about this. Um, so just doing those and making people more mindful of that, I think overall will help um, in the long term, just, so people can kind of make those connections that it's not you're either a woman or a person of color or you're a game dev or you're a woman or whatever. So they can make those connections for themselves because the more they do it, the less I have to do it for them. I, I love that. Tell me more about what you do now um, in the game development. I'm a producer at a game studio called Hairbrain Schemes. We make a game called Battletech, which Battletech was a tabletop board game in the 80s and we've made it into a video game version where it's a turn-based strategy game and we have a team of giant robots that go down and fight another team of giant robots so there's an element of robots punching each other which everyone loves Um, but one of the things that we put into this game intentionally was character creation you know when you create your characters there's like the little avatar of your character and you pick your name but we also made it so you could pick your pronouns and in a way it's like oh yeah that's so obvious like you should be able to do that um but you could take he, him, she, her, or they, them, and that was just kind of a no-brainer for us. Being a producer is part cat herder, it's being it's part team mom, and it's part cheerleader. Is there like a story that you kind of tell over and over that's just like awesome, that comes to mind, that you would want to share with our listeners? Oh, wow. I think it was the second convention I did here. Um, so this was maybe like four or five years ago. Um, I've been on a panel for a couple of years and it's called Breaking the Bamboo Ceiling and it's about Asian American representation in the media or in games or in comics and we kind of go through like, you know, what's been on TV in the last few years or, you know, what what games have come out and talk about representation and whitewashing and yellow face and that sort of stuff. At the end of that panel, I had an attendee come up to me and I think at the time she was maybe like, 15 or 16 and she was like hey I'm half Asian and I've never heard a panel like this before and like everything that we said like resonated with me but I've 
never actually heard anyone say that. It was just like that kind of moment where it was like, oh yeah, like, you know, this thing that I've known all along, like I am not the only one and I'm in a room of people that are also not the only one. Having her tell me about that experience in that moment was just like, oh my God, my heart. For women, for people of color, for members of the queer community, members of the like disabled community, you are not the only one. And that's kind of why we have this gathering in the first place. So you can find other people that are like you. Fortnite is so incredibly popular, mm -hmm. but my husband just started, because we just got the Switch and it's like free, right? Mm -hmm. So like he just downloaded it and um, it's like the top game in the world. But I don't understand, there's no plot. There's no storytelling. Literally you're dropped and there's nothing there. There's just supplies, where are the people? What is the story of Fortnite? I don't get it. I think there's a certain type of game like Fortnite yeah. and Minecraft also falls into this category yeah. where it's like, here's a world now, go do stuff. Right. And a lot of it is you make your own story. So yeah. that's one of the beautiful things about games is yeah. you can do whatever you want with a game. I'm just thinking there's a particular category of narrative driven games like, you know, Gone Home comes to mind for me. So that's, so some people are like, oh, this is a walking simulator, but it's a walking simulator where you learn a story about like this character and like her relationship with her sister and you know, you're just walking through a house, but. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it, it's amazing. You should, everyone should go play it. It's lovely. Yeah. I never even thought about that. That's such genius. And of course, like it comes from you and who is a game developer who's in the world because I saw Fortnite and I, I think the greatest game ever made was uh, Zelda Breath of the Wild, mm -hmm. which I'm playing for the third time, nice. almost done, gotten all the shrines. But I love that. I love being immersed in a world that has great character development and just a ton of background. So when, when you drop into Fortnite, there is no background. But I, re I mean, you just said it. Not everyone's like me. They want to make their own story. Yeah. And... So I also super love Breath of the Wild and I think I've spent like 200 hours just like walking around in the game, which is like not even doing anything in particular, just like, oh, you know, there's a mountain over there. That looks cool. I'm going to go over there and like climb the mountain. You get a cook too. It's oh, just yeah. like the best game ever. Oh my God. The cooking mechanic in that game oh is amazing. God. Like also I gave... Uh, I gave Link like food poisoning about like 12 times because I would just like randomly be like, yeah. let's just try this out and see what happens. Um, I like to cheat yeah. and I like to look yeah. it up stuff, but um, Fortnite's the thing now. What's the next thing? Oh, that's, wow. There are so many directions that the like, gaming world is going in and eventually some of these will be in tension with each other. But I feel like the bar to entry for game dev is going down every day. It's like kids are learning how to code. You know, now you can go to school for that. You can learn how to code when you're like five years old in class or whatever. And so I feel like we are going to see this explosion of new games and new types of games out there. I mean, that's kind of like part of the reason we play games. We want to be able to explore and we want to be able to discover things for ourselves. And so I think there's room for like more stuff in open world games. But I also think that as we see future generations of game devs come out, we're, we're just going to see things that I can't even imagine right now, which is really exciting. Spark Science will be back with more from Geek Girl Con. Welcome back to Spark Science. In this episode, we are at Geek Girl Con, a conference focused on all things geek, talking with Dr. Forez about math and chaos theory. 
Welcome to Spark Science. We're at Geek Girl Con for the fourth time, and I'm inside the DIY zone, so the do-it-yourself science zone that was created by uh, Dr. Rochelle Burks. And there's probably about 10 or 11 science experiments or STEM, science, technology, engineering, math experiments, and I'm here at a math one, and I want you to kind of let me know about um, what this booth is about. Okay, so my name is uh, Ariadna Farres, uh, and I've, it's my first time here at GeekCon. My booth is about trying to explain chaos uh, to kids and, and uh, people, <laughs> which is a very complex concept, and I'm trying to build it up simple and see if they can understand it. Say. And to do that, I use a simple model, that's the double pendulum. So a classical pendulum, you just one have one swing, let's say, that goes. If you couple two of them, that is a very simple example and you can create chaos or you find chaos and the question is what do you understand by chaos most people think that chaos is craziness or something wild and from a mathematical point of view it's not that it's the fact that you are not able to predict things on the long term on the long term so with a double pendulum there's like initial states that if you put them and you just separate them by a millimeter or less like very very close uh, one to the other and you just let the system evolve they'll behave completely different. How does that happen? Is it because I'm tweaking the system or is that something that will happen in, in the really? And well, that really happens in, and you find chaos in many other places. I always put the example of uh, uh, meteorology, trying to predict the weather. Mm -hmm. Some people think it's just because we're not smart enough and it's not exactly true. Even if we had all the conditions and everything, things that are very, very close by will have very different behaviors. So we're always only able to predict weather with seven days or, or even less. More than that, it's impossible to know because the system is chaotic. So things that start together end up being completely different. And that's essentially what I'm doing here. <laughs> so what, what do you think about the pop culture representation because we're we're at a geek girl ah, con yeah. right so this is like pop culture central yeah. but when i think of chaos and when i think of mathematicians in pop culture i think of jeff goldblum yeah. uh, jurassic park for those listeners unfamiliar with jurassic park or maybe just want to hear it again here is the clip where jeff goldblum talks about chaos um, still not clear on chaos oh oh it's it, 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 uh, simply uh, deals with uh, predictability in complex systems. The shorthand is the, the butterfly effect. A butterfly can flap its wings in Peking, and in Central Park you get rain instead of sunshine. Why? <laughs> <laughs> I did I go too fast? I, I go too fast. I did a flyby. No. Give, give me that big glass of water. I'll show. We're going to conduct an experiment. It should be still. The car's bouncing up and down. But that's okay. It's just an example. Now, put your hand flat like a hieroglyphic. Then. Now, let's say a drop of water falls in your hand. Which way is the drop going to roll off? Over which finger or over the thumb or the other side? Thumb. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay, now freeze your hand. Freeze your hand. Don't move. I'm going to do the same thing. Start with the same same place again. Right. Which way is going to roll off? Let's say back. Yep. Same way. So, same way. Same back. Same way. <gasps> it changed. It changed. Why? Because tiny variations, uh, the, the orientation of the hairs on your hands. Yeah, well, look at this. Um, the amount of blood distending your vessels, imperfections in the skin. Imperfections in the skin? Microscopic, microscopic. Uh -huh. And never repeat and vastly affect the outcome. That's important. Unpredictability. There. Look at this. See? See? I'm right again. Nobody could have predicted that Dr. Grant would suddenly suddenly jump out of a moving vehicle. Alan? Alan? 
there's uh, another example. <laughs> See, here I'm now by myself uh, uh, talking to myself. That's, that's games. So what is your perception and what is your reaction to that representation of your field? I, I never know the name of the guy on Jurassic Park, but everyone quoted Jurassic Park because it's the one that everyone remembers. Yeah. Uh, I really don't, they you always get it wrong, let's say, and I, and I think there's some misbehaviors, and I think mathematicians, we've never been very well represented in pop culture. We're either the geek guy that just crunches numbers, and that's all. Uh, there's a lot of misunderstanding of what maths are important and where they appear, and that's maybe because of mathematicians didn't do a good job explaining what we do exactly. So that, that's always hard. Like the, what I do, because I'm I'm an applied mathematician, and I, if you remember uh, the movie The Martian, yes, uh, yes, we're, uh, we've had several shows about that. Okay, yeah. So I'm I apply maths to aerospace engineering and to predict trajectories of all those things. My work is the same as the girls in Hidden Figures, and also the guy that saves the day uh, on the on the Martian. If you remember the movie, at some point they say, "Oh, we have a fine, a cool trajectory that can." Get, help us bring back them without saving fuel or without having any problems. And that's what maths are for. You have those complex models, you need to understand them, you need to uh, know how to work with them, and that, there's where the maths are. Right. And maths appear in a lot of physics, uh, biology, in different areas. Right. But just the abstract part is always very hard to understand. And at school, I think you always stay with the simple maths. People that at school, they only show you that maths is do some some weird computations and derived functions, learn about the sinus and the cosinus, you don't ever see where they apply to, and that's probably why people are kind of scared of, oh, maths, ah, yeah, no, no. <laughs> I feel like the, the more you're saying this, the, ma the more I think, of, like, you don't get enough credit, like, the mathematician's always in the back, and then, like, the physicist gets the credit, or the biologist, or the, yeah. uh, or the pilot of the spacecraft. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Uh, and, and I think it's a teamwork. It's not that one cannot exist with the other. Uh, maths uh, always uh, live with cool physics problems. So I always think of maths as more like a language that helps you understand physics problems. It also has weird abstract maths and have very interesting problems. But I have the feeling that those are very hard to get kids involved to because it's things that they've never asked themselves about. So, so what is your perception of this kind of space? Have you ever been to a place where they celebrate science and, you know, kind of all these intersectional identities of being a woman and be, maybe being a woman of color, maybe being a queer person of color, okay. maybe be, like all of these things. Is this, Have you ever seen this before? No. Uh, so I've been to science uh, fairs and that's where I explain the chaos thing on science fairs, but I've never been mixed with this pop culture and different side of more geeky part. Because I'm not from the U.S., I'm from Spain and there I've never seen these two things mixed they usually either put the geeky part or the, I don't know how you call it, <laughs> that part. Uh, Cel on one celebrating people's identities. Exactly. There's one is celebrating people's identities and the other part is science. They right. never mix them together. Right. It's like something that is, yeah, they don't mix or that's how right. we think maybe or I've never seen them mix and I think it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any stories like about your field? I think I'll, I'll, I'll go back to the, the chaos. I was yeah. Rid, uh, and it's how we discovered about chaos, right? Uh, back in the 60s when the first computers came along, everyone thought that, okay, we have computers, now we have the equations. I'm able to crunch numbers fast enough and I'll be able to understand what happens, right? And they thought that two things that started together would end up being always together, right? Because 
the only thing accounting for the unpredictability was things that we couldn't uh, uh, model. And it was Lawrence that what he did is where he got his computer, he was doing his simulations on atmospheric drag and on atmospheric convection, and he had his numbers. He got the paper and said, oh, I'll start again, but I won't start from the beginning, I'll start from the middle. So he got the results, got the number, typed it in, see what happened. And he saw something completely different. And he was like, oh, what happened here? Yeah. And what had happened is that he just had changed so that the, the numbers that he were getting out, printed up, only had four decimals. And in, internally, oh, it was summation. I was I, sorry, it was um, it was uh, it was a rounding. Yeah, yeah, he rounded up, but he thought like, oh, rounding up shouldn't have that effect, right? Right. And well, it ended up being that yeah, rounding up has a huge effect on 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 those chaotic systems and have, and that's where everything started. The rounding adds up, and that just generates error that just behaves completely different. So that I, when they told me the story, I was like, "Ooh, that's kind of neat." <laughs> and actually, that made me think about all the computation I had done in high school, where you start rounding up everything, yes. and you're like, "Ooh, maybe I didn't compute anything right." <laughs> that is so awesome. Actually, I'll stop there because people are coming to your, okay. your booth. But thank you so much for okay. talking to me. It was okay. great meeting you. Great to meet you too. <laughs> We'd like to thank Dr. Lau and Dr. Ferez for taking the time to talk to us at such a busy convention. You can follow Dr. Lau on Twitter at DRJCLAU. If you'd like to learn more about Geek Girl Con, check out their website, geekgirlcon.com. Jurassic Park clip, courtesy of Universal Pictures. Spark Science is sponsored by WWU and created in partnership with KMRE. Spark Science is recorded on location and in Bellingham, Washington, at Western Washington University. The producers are Suzanne Blaze, Regina Barbara DeGraff, and Robert Clark. Student editors are Julia Thorpe, Andrew Norton, and Sarah Coakley. Additional editing is done by WWU Video Services. If there's a science idea you're curious about, post a message on our Facebook page or tweet us at SparkScienceNow. Thanks for joining us, and if you want to listen to past episodes, visit SparkScienceNow.com.